Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Island College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Look at that. Matt Norlander's here with me. If you're watching live on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davies. You have consent. And today, oh, it's a special occasion, Norlander. It's a mailbag episode. Are you yeah. properly prepared for a mailbag episode? It's a special occasion. I'm I'm relatively prepared. I'll, if you're watching live, uh, shouts to the hardcores. Drop a few questions into the live chat. We'll do the pre-prepared ones, if you will, first. And then if we got a couple of good ones, yes, we will definitely. There's no shortage of things we could possibly touch on, hoops or otherwise. But uh, we were overdue for this, and we've got plenty of draft stuff coming in the next month. So why not uh, squeeze in a little mailbag? we got a good variety going here. How you doing, GP? I've been better. I've been worse, you know. Somewhere in the middle. I've been better, but I've been worse. Okay. There we so, go. Somewhere in the middle. Is that, is, that, is that Zach Randolph over your right shoulder? Yeah, that's Zach. That's Zebo. Okay. That's, okay. A, that's a Grizzlies legend. Yeah. All right. There we go. Yeah. yeah got, got, got the core four up there. And uh, let's see if I can guess the core four before we get to the questions. This is core four of, of is this Memphis basketball legends or Memphis no, legends? Core four of the grit and grind Grizzlies. All right. So that's Tony Allen, Zebo. Right. right. Mm, give me a hint on the other two. Uh, one of them at one time had the most lucrative contract in NBA history. That's got to be Chandler Parsons. <laughs> no. I know. But didn't he have some sort of absurd contract? He did have a, a crazy yes. contract. Oh, yeah. He had a $100 million contract with a bum knee. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, how about this? It was picking between Memphis and Portland. All right. First off, he lives in California. Portland's got Damian Lillard. There's no reason for him to pick Memphis over Portland. All right. None whatsoever. It gets time to contract signing time. And they're like, Portland wants to put you through a really intense physical. Memphis doesn't need to. <laughs> Let's take the Memphis contract. Amazing. $100 million contract. Never was healthy his entire time with the Grizzlies. Mike Conley's another one. That's right. He had the most, for a moment, Mike Conley had the most lucrative contract in the history of the NBA. That's I that. Uh, I don't think I can get the fourth. Um, He's a future Hall of Famer. Is he? He's an international player. Hmm. Oh, uh, Gasol? Mark Gasol. Yeah, there we go. How about this for a Mark Gasol get story? It. You might remember Pau Gasol started his career in Memphis. So Don't Mark, that is. Uh, Pau is his older brother. Yeah. Pau Gasol started his, uh, he was drafted by the Grizzlies. He was rookie of the year. Mark was a teenager, um, you know, in Memphis. He went to school at Lausanne Collegiate School, same school my oldest son graduated from. And he was a, like Google Mark Gasol in high school and you'll see he was not in shape. And I can remember this is when I'm the beat writer for the commercial pill newspaper. And I'd be at like a Memphis practice, you know, and afterward you get into some random conversations with John Calipari or somebody else on the staff. And I remember John asking me one day, how much have you seen of Mark Gasol? And I was like, just, you know, not, not much, but you know, he's obviously like he averages a lot of points and rebounds, 
but you know, he doesn't necessarily look the part. And I said, why are you, are you guys, what, what's going on? And, and they were, they were trying to figure out if he could help them. If he were to walk on at Memphis, Powell would pay for his school. They wouldn't have to put him on scholarship. Like, could he play here ever? And like, it was actually debatable. Like you didn't know if he would be a, 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 a player who could contribute at the high major level. And he goes on to, to maybe be a, a future hall of famer. It's wild, man. It's wild. By the way, as we do this, we've got interest CBS podcast competition. Cover three podcasts is live because as we speak, as we speak, and we're gonna do basketball, but I have to at least mention this. Apparently, Jimbo Fisher is calling Nick Saban a narcissist. <laughs> Nick Saban's comments were despicable. So before we even get into the, the mailbag questions, uh, there's like a like we have to mention there is a major, major college football story unfolding because Nick Saban at some sort of booster event on Wednesday night, which I watched the video. I watched the six second or six minute uh, video of Saban making the comments. Did you did you happen to watch that, GP? Oh, I couldn't watch it enough. Nate Oates is sitting right next to him. <laughs> and the thing that's ironic about that whole thing is Nate Oates is the one that has no filter. Like, among all of the power conference head coaches, Nate Oates easily ranks top five of not afraid to say what's on his mind, will say it on the record kind of deal. And so the fact that Nate Oates is just kind of sitting there, just, you know, because he's sitting next to Saban. I mean, compared to Saban, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And then Saban says what he says, goes after Deion Sanders, who apparently later today will also also be addressing this. Deion Sanders had someone on Jackson State social media team drop in some James Brown music over some sort of gif graphic. Wait until tomorrow. I got plenty to say. It's all incredible. So Jimbo Fisher is just lighting college football's world on fire, which prompts me for this. This isn't this is my mailbag question to you, GP. We'll get going and rolling on this. Coach in men's basketball most likely to pull a Nick Saban and actually get as close to saying on the record things that Nick Saban said. Who do we think, head coach, sitting head coach, power conference of some acclaim? I was, I'm, I'm inclined, me, to say Calipari, but I actually don't think Cal would do that. Like, Nick Saban went and said that Texas A&M had the number one recruiting class and bought all of the players on its team for $30 million. I don't think Cal's ever going that far, do we? But even if it's not that far, who's our most likely candidate to go out and, and speak his mind and pull a Saban? Jim Beheim? That's I think that's got to be the answer, right? Because he would he would just say something like that. Well, you had a tweet, which is accurate. The older coaches get, the more they don't give an F about right. saying stuff. Beheim is the eminent example, preeminent example of that. So I, th- I and and at, at this point, I'm basically rooting for it. So like I, I could see Rick Patino, but like Rick's not banging hit. Like, uh, you know, Rick's not when a kid commits to Duke for whatever reason, somebody might commit to Duke. That's not costing Rick Patino anything. So it's got to be somebody who is on the wrong side of a name, image and likeness recruiting deal. And Syracuse theoretically could be on the wrong side of that. I do think Calipari is actually a, somebody who could do it because Think about what led Nick Saban to that place. He got beat in recruiting by someone he doesn't think is as good as him. Like, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so rather than just say, hey, they're really doing a good job at Texas A&M, he's compelled, and maybe this is narcissism, but he's compelled to explain to you, I'm not slipping, and they're not really recruiting better than us. They just bought everybody, and we didn't buy anybody. And we still finished second right behind them. 
Like he's he was compelled to make it clear to the world because I do think this was intentional. We're we're not slipping at Alabama. We're not getting out recruited by fellow SEC schools. I'm not getting out recruited by a former assistant of mine. They're spending thirty million dollars on their recruiting class. That's what happened. And and so could you see Calipari like if suddenly Florida beat them for two five-star prospects. Could you see Cal saying, listen, um, you know, there are some schools out there that are throwing around millions of dollars in name, image, and likeness deals to get recruiting done. And, you know, I've never had to do it that way. And I've not, we still aren't doing it that way, but maybe we'll have to adjust and adapt. I could see him saying something like that. In fact, like he just stopped a few yards short of that a few weeks ago when he was explaining, we're getting everybody we want to get, we haven't lost anybody because of name, image, and likeness, and we're doing name, image, and likeness better than anybody else. Like that was, that was, you know, uh, if if Nick Saban's comments last night were Major League Baseball, like what Cal and Cal Staff did a few weeks ago was like double A baseball. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'm gonna promote pick uh, pick six uh, cover three podcast. If you want, if if you're a college sports fan. Go find them after you listen to this one. Obviously, they're going to have this whole thing covered because apparently Jimbo Fisher is literally saying some people think they are God. It's refusing to to take Nick Saban's calls. He said Nick Saban tried to call him. He didn't pick up the phone call, says, quote, we're done. Uh, This is going to dominate the news cycle on a day where Tiger Woods is playing in a a major golf championship. um, It's kind of wild. But we we I didn't want to at least not acknowledge the fact that in college sports, there is a feud unfolding, unlike uh, a few others we've ever seen. They they used they used to work for Saban. It's kind of it's kind of wild. So uh, so anyway, if you want to get more of that, the Cover Three guys will absolutely have you covered, pun intended. Uh, but why not dive into this uh, mailbag? Because we got plenty of good stuff to get here, GP. All right, uh, we took questions from Twitter, and the way we'll do this is alternate back and forth, back and forth, and then eventually we'll get to the end, and I'll shout out some people, and we'll call it a day. So let's start with this question. It uh, comes from uh, Sharpie Charlie. Sharpie Charlie. Assuming Duke and North Carolina are going to be top four in the ACC, which schools are going to make up the other two spots? I'll let you take a step at it first. Um, good question. Duke and Carolina got to be considered top four, uh, no doubt. I'll have more on Duke in a, in a little bit here. Uh, I was talking uh, with a few folks recently about the state of the ACC going into next season. Reminder, here are the teams that made the tournament this past season. Miami, obviously. Virginia Tech squeaked in. And Notre Dame uh, squeaked in. So you had five teams get in. Duke was the only one that was high level. Carolina made the title game, but it was an eight seed. And then Miami, Notre Dame, and Vatek were all 10 and 11 seeds there. Wake Forest just barely missed. Uh, we'll see if it gets like if Jake LaRavia returns, which feels he, 50-ish. Yeah, it feels not good. <laughs> feels not good. Okay, fair enough. Well, he, he, he apparently shot it like crazy at the combine and then pulled out of the scrimmages. Oh, he, then I, I I didn't realize he had pulled out pulled out of the scrimmages. So yeah, okay. he 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 getting picked. He's getting picked. Uh, which is wild. Jake LaRavia wasn't even the best player on his team. Uh, that was Alondis Williams, who also has an outside chance chance of being picked. Uh, Steve Forbes did pretty well for himself in his second season. I will go, uh, I'd say Virginia. And I haven't looked at your top 25. I, you probably, you got to have another team that's in here. Um, I'd I, say- I actually do not have a third really? ACC team in the top 25 and one. But I did 
you know, in previous versions, they got pushed out by teams jumping in, and that team was Virginia. So I would go North Carolina in the ACC, one, Duke, two, Virginia, three, and let's see who you come up with for four, because I don't um, think it's obvious. I'm at oh, – you think, you think it's obvious? I do not think it's obvious. Oh, do not. I, I would – you know what? I, I, will, I will go Miami um, because Isaiah Wong should be back. Norchad Omier, who's, who's you know, a, a Sunbelt player of the year, best all-around player. He comes in. Nigel Pack comes in. I would, I would default to say the Canes would be, in the, would be in the four slot there. But, man, right now, it's certainly – I appreciate questions like this because I haven't done, like, the deep dive research, and by the time I get to ranking all these damn teams in the preseason, I'll have convinced myself of some sort of echelon uh, in order. But, yeah, man, I tell you what, though, Parrish – like, I look at the bottom of that league, Tech, Pitt, NC State, Boston College, what will Louisville be in Payne's first year? Clemson, I actually think, will be better. I do think Clemson will be better. Syracuse, who the hell knows? Florida State, you would think, should bounce back. But, man, oh, man, you asked me to go over, under, five and a half NCAA tournament bids in 23 for the ACC. Right now, blindly, I'm just going to tell you under. Like, I think five, it looks like the ceiling. Obviously, things will change by the time we get to next season. But, yeah, give me that. I'll go with that. Virginia 4, Miami. Or Virginia 3, Miami 4. I think it's either Miami or Florida State. Florida State's interesting because if you didn't know anything about last season and you just looked at their roster, you would go, that's a top 25 roster. Um, they, I mean, they got Caleb Mills back, uh, Matthew Cleveland, Jalen Warley. They've got, you know, Cam Fletcher. They've got heralded high school prospects and or accomplished college basketball players. But the problem is that they weren't good last season. They were 17 and 14 overall, 10 and 10 in the ACC. They finished 105th at Ken Palm. So does a team that finished outside of the top 100 at Ken Palm take that jump largely by just bringing back a lot of really good high school prospects who didn't make for a good team? I mean, maybe, but I'm not sure. Um, our buddy John Rostein does have Florida State in his uh, preseason top 25 right now. But that was the one when we were at the Final Four and he and I were comparing notes. Um, I was surprised he had them because they weren't even really on my radar. They, fin they were so bad this past season, they weren't even on my radar. Okay. Uh, keep an eye going forward. Obviously, a few more roster things to be settled. Uh in the ACC. We'll get to that in a second. All right. Local celeb Brett asks, isn't it time to get rid of the rule that forces players to give up their college eligibility in order to be eligible for the NBA draft? What he means by that, obviously, is you have to make that decision before it gets actually time to draft night. There's an NCAA deadline, which is coming up pretty soon. And then a few days after that, there is an actual NBA deadline, which is for all intents and purposes, more for every single prospect, international and otherwise. So GP, in essence, should players be able to return to college if they don't if they go into the draft and just, and don't get picked? Should they have that option to uh, to head on back to school, you know, mid to late June, if not early July? I'll take it a step further. Um, they should be able to come back to school if they get picked. Like this, <laughs> yeah, I, that is taking it a step further. <laughs> how about this? Um, you don't even enter the draft. You just. There's a draft. You're just eligible. Yeah. You're just, By you're default, just, you're eligible. Yes. You're draft eligible. And you let 
uh, franchises, you know, do their homework in advance. Hey, if we were to take you, this is the way baseball works. Hockey you know, too, I think, GP. Now the right. calendars are different. It doesn't right. line up the exact same way, but I think in hockey you're eligible no matter what, and you get drafted, and you still play college hockey. Right, because there are some NBA teams like, um, you know, we'll, we'll go back to the Grizzlies real quick. They've got two picks in the twenties. They probably don't need to add two more rookies to their roster. I mean, they just finished with the second best record in the NBA. You don't want to add two more rookies. You want to, um, you know, you, you know, you're going, you're, you're, you're competing for in theory, you know, Western Conference titles and NBA titles. So, wouldn't it be ideal if you could draft? Um, I don't know. At 29, at 22, you take whatever you're taking, and then at 29, let's say you take Patrick Baldwin. But you say, hey, we want you to go to school. You know, we, we want you to, to go to, to spend another year in college. But we, we have your draft rights. Like I, that, that would be interesting to, to me. Um, that is the way I believe it works in hockey. In baseball, you could draft somebody and they might not sign with you. You know, they, they might decide to go back to college. I, I just think there's a better way to do this. And um, I, I would be interested in discussions that lead to a place where players who make ill-advised, short-sighted, bad decisions on the draft have an option to be back in school, A, if they decide they want to go back to school, but B, especially um, if they're not picked, um, because that can be a pretty um, uncomfortable feeling if you are in the draft um, based off of unrealistic things or promises that people gave you. And then you look up on draft night and and you don't have anywhere to go. Uh, that happens sometimes to prospects. And if they had an option to uh, continue their college career and take another shot at it someday, I, I'd be uh, I, I'd be for that. The, you know, we'd have to really get into the specifics and the details and figure out exactly how to make it work. But broadly speaking, yes, I would be in favor of something like that. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. What else you got? What's your next one? Uh, this comes from Most Def, No Doubt on Twitter ask uh, why do people think North Carolina will be top 10 next year? That's not the way college basketball works. And yet every year people hype up the same things. I don't know. Why would you not think North Carolina is going to be top 10 next year? We, yeah, we now listen, we have discussed this very 
trope, if you will, on the pod uh, in the past month or so. It's hard to make a case against North Carolina at this stage. Now, if you want to, that's perfectly fine. I'm not saying that you're that you're outright wrong for doing so. But when you consider what North Carolina ended as as a team from mid-February on, the Tar Heels were operating like one of the 10 best teams in the sport. That's objectively true. I think it's true from a data standpoint. In my man GP here in a second, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll call up the Bart Torvik timeline and, uh, and let us know where they ranked amid all that. But from February 17 to the end of the season, North Carolina went 11-2. and two. It finished the season 11-2 and two with a number of double-digit wins, wins over highly-ranked teams like Virginia Tech, Duke twice, Baylor, UCLA, and it's bringing back just about everyone. So because of that, you know, I, I might, when it gets time for me to rank every team in, in October, I might fade it a little bit. UNC finished 16th at Ken Palm. Let me check real quick where finished at Torvik. Haven't brought up Torvik in a minute here. Shouts to, shouts to Bart. He's already got his 23 ones up. I don't want to see this, man. I, don't, I do not want to see his, his, his rankings for next season here. He had... Carolina finishing 16, same number. Ken Palm and Torvik, UNC finished there. So, listen, I know you got this locked and loaded. You've been updating the top 25 and one with regularity with every single significant roster update that will continue, obviously, throughout the offseason there. So um, feel free to repeat yourself if you if you got to hammer this point home. But um, there's just enough there. I mean, Armando Baycott will have a case to be the preseason national player of the year. I know she weighs coming back to Kentucky, but if people want to say, I don't think the same guy is going to repeat, I'm going to go with Baycott. Also, that's entirely reasonable. You get everyone else back that matters. I mean, come on. And plus, like, I, I expect Puff Johnson, and he showed some spurts, showed some, some highlights there, GP. It's hard to shift off UNC as anything outside a top five team heading into next season. That's all. Yeah, they're top 10 at Torvik preseason. Um, to your point, if you run the data from last season, because some Carolina skeptics will consistently repeat, they're just a team that got hot in the NCAA tournament. That's not what they were, though. That is kind of what UCLA was the year before, because UCLA was actually on a losing streak heading into the NCAA tournament. Carolina played really well from mid-February on. When they lost to Pitt on February 16th, that was disastrous. Um, a 76-67 loss at home that dropped them to 10-5 and five in the ACC. But if you run the data from the day after that, February 17th through the end of the season, um, they were the third best team in that stretch several weeks. I mean, like, you know, from February – this isn't like from March 17th through the end of the season. February 17th through the end of the season, they were the third best team in the country, according to BartTorvik.com, behind only, I believe, Kansas and Texas Tech. So when you return four starters from a team that was that – plus a team that played for the national title, plus a team that was up double digits at halftime in the national title game, um, I think that's obviously a preseason top 10 team. The, the one, if you wanted to ask a question like that, I think you would ask it about Creighton, which we've discussed before. You know, a lot of people have Creighton in the top five even now preseason, and that's the team that's just bringing, not just bringing, but largely bringing back a lot of good pieces. They added a, a heralded transfer, but... Uh, they're bringing back a lot of good pieces from a team that was good, but that finished 50th at Ken Palm. Do you really go from 50th at Ken Palm to second in the country, bringing back um, a lot of the good pieces that took you to 50th at Ken Palm? Maybe, maybe, 
but I think I think it's more reasonable to question is Creighton really a top ten team than it is to question is North Carolina really a top ten team because I don't think at least on paper I don't think you can even question Carolina. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it can't be, and they'll you know. They'll get some consideration for preseason uh, number one, plenty as well. Um, all right, let's go big picture here. The basketball opinion asks if a breakaway actually occurs, who will be invited? I can't imagine attorney with just power six programs, top 10 conferences only. What he's getting at here is there's been, you know, constant curiosity and recent comments by ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips about, um, the idea that football might break away to its own entity down the road and not be so latched to the NCAA. Uh, could this eventually mean something more detrimental for the NCAA tournament as we know it? Um, I don't think so. So I guess the question is if a breakaway actually occurs, who would be invited to a new NCAA tournament and what would it look like? Uh, I'm going to stop the question at the pass there because I don't believe that's going to happen. Now, it's obviously something that could happen, but there are a lot of factors to take into account here. Um, so I'll be quick on this and I'll have GP uh, chime in as well. You also have to consider that uh, television, when it comes to the men's NCAA tournament specifically, and obviously men's and women's basketball have to abide by, you know, similar things, not identical, but similar things, because one, they just had a gender equity review, uh, a major one. Um, and also you have Title IX. Uh, but there can be obviously slight differences between the two uh, tournaments. Uh, CBS and Turner, which have the rights to the NCAA tournament, will, would also have a voice in this. And I don't believe that television would desire a product that got rid of um, an NCAA tournament field in which, you know, 25 percent of the field or so uh, were schools from outside the power conference structure there. We just had St. Peter's make the elite eight and we just had an NCAA tournament with a lot of factors contributing to this parish where the ratings were, were better this year than in many years, even pre pandemic in the modern era. Uh, so much of the selling point of the NCAA tournament is the small guy being able to, to do that. And it is a major pull for casual sports fans. So this idea that the NCAA and the schools involved in the power conferences would break away and redefine what division one means and think that they could have some sort of NCAA tournament that might be uh, 68 teams or 64 teams. And you only would get entry through automatic qualifying or at large uh, consideration. If you were in this new tier, uh, it's just as not as desirable of a television product. And I don't think it's as, as profitable as a model. So my prediction is that we never get to that point. There's a chance that if we look up in 10 years, could the NCAA tournament have some slight modifications to it? Yes, but I have had conversations with conference commissioners, people tied to the transformation committee. And this, while it certainly stands to be a scary prospect, and obviously I think it could be one of the dumbest things that they could possibly do is to screw up the NCAA tournament, which is one of the most perfect things in American sports. Um, I, I do think there's enough conversation and enough awareness that if we're going to change what the NCAA and what college sports is, we, we, there's a lot of things we need to do with that. But altering how we construct this 68-team field and making any kind of drastic changes about who qualifies for it and who doesn't would probably be uh, a negative thing. And so I don't find that there's a lot of momentum for that right now, which isn't to say it couldn't get there, Parrish, but it feels like the appropriate hesitations and in conversations that need to be had about not effing with the tournament. They seem to be good with that for now. And way more of the attention is focused on what they do with football and how they classify it. And then, and on and on and on. 
Well, the, the first thing I would say is they have drastically altered the NCAA tournament a bunch of different times in our lifetimes. So the idea that they wouldn't mess with it again uh, seems to ignore history. They, they've messed with it a lot. Um, I understand all of your concerns, and I think I share most of them. Like the St. Peter story is awesome. And if you go the breakaway route, you, you know, it, at least in some versions, you lose that. By extension, you lose peacock impersonations. And who wants to lose peacock impersonations? No one, right? So this is all stuff that needs to be considered. But I'm telling you, it ain't hard for me to imagine them breaking away and saying, we're going to sell a, um, a basketball tournament, a college basketball tournament to Disney, to Amazon Prime, to Netflix, to CBS, to Fox. And... Yeah, you're going to lose the St. Peter story every once in a while that you get and the Butler story and the VCU story and the George Mason story. But you know what you also lose? Uh, a Thursday afternoon game between uh, Boise State and, uh, you know, uh, Richmond. You're not heartbroken about that, are you? With all due respect, obviously. Wow. Now, yeah, now it did Richmond like that. It just popped into my head. That, that, uh, I, Boise State, I understand. Richmond's completely. I Parrish, I get what you're saying. Like, who's, hey, I, who's I, I, running this thing? The NCAA runs the tournament. They're not going to run that. So who are they going to get to run it? I this just Greg, way Greg Sankey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if I if I went to a television network and I said, "Hey, I'm going to give you every SEC school, every Big Ten school, every ACC school, and every Pac-12 school, and these leagues will be expanded by then." So. We're leaving out the, – we'll take the best of the Big 12. Like, we'll get Kansas in one of these leagues, and we'll get – I don't know how it all works. But, like, we'll get we'll get you a nice round number. I need you to know how it all works. This is still not more appealing. It's certainly not going to make more money. I'm telling you, we got nothing but – 13th-ranked team in any of these conferences playing a postseason tournament. You are crazy if you don't think you can make more money. No, uh, I, you will not. You think they haven't done – Studies on this? You think yes, that, I, I think, think they have. Problem, this would I, not be. People are not the. The average consumer has no desire to see mediocre power conference teams play in a national tournament like this. They'd rather see. What are you talking about? The mediocre power conference teams are better than most of the automatic bids. They, they draw almost no appeal to the average viewer, whereas the small school, who they know nothing about, playing against the big guy actually brings in a casual viewer. Yes, they don't no. want to see. They don't want to see Oregon State. Shouts to Beaver Fever going up and playing, coming off an 11-win season playing in a postseason tournament. You're out of your mind. Not, not an appealing product. Certainly not in a 64-team field. If it was more than 64 teams, no shot. No. And who's going to run the thing? Greg Sankey. I've already told Greg Sankey's running. Yeah. Okay. Greg Sankey, he's laying down the decals, prepping the, prepping the press documents on the table. He's yes. got it all taken care of. Yes, he's doing all of that. You hire you hire you hire somebody to do it. What are you talking about? But who are you going to hire that's going to do it better than the people that already do it? Uh, it's, uh, hire it's, the people like, who already do it. Okay. Hire 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 uh, Gavin to come in and do it. Not, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gavin might be running the whole thing by then. I don't think this is. You, you ever hey, hey take a big piece take a big pie, divide it by four instead of thirty two. See what you get. It ain't going to be more profitable. I'm just telling you. It's not. 
It's not. If it was, if it was, they would have been done by now. And and the TV networks are not going to want. They're not going to do that. They're not going to see that as a better product and something that can be spread to more people around the country and be sold to more people than what we have here. The TV it's ingrained in the American sports culture. I just oh, you can, can try it. It would make money. It would not be nearly as popular or successful or viewed throughout the entirety of the tournament as what we have now. I, like, hey, you ready for this? These television networks you keep referencing, they have the option every weekend to put on the little guys on TV if they want to. You know that's what they not, do? That's not the – and they, they, they do put, it when it matters. They, they the put post-season. mediocre power conference schools on TV. You want to know why? Because a mediocre Big Ten team playing a mediocre Big Ten team is going to do a way bigger number on CBS than a, medi- than a great mid-major and a, against a good mid-major. But if you'd put the mediocre Big Ten team against the mediocre Big Ten team versus a mid-major team going, check me the rating of San Francisco versus Murray State versus uh, whatever Big Ten game was on in the middle of January. What what game do you think got a better rating? The Big Ten game? Are you crazy? Higher than the NCAA tournament? No, I'm not crazy. Oh, check we're, it out. Well, we're not comparing game. regular season games to NCAA tournament again. How about exactly. this? Exactly. You I'm put not a talking you, about regular season. I'm talking about selling a postseason. Well, now, well now, well, now you're comparing apples and oranges. I'm telling you this. You put mediocre Big Ten teams on TV on a Saturday and at the exact same time put good mid-major teams on TV and the mediocre Big Ten teams That's are getting not, a bigger I'm number. I'm not arguing that point. The postseason, the tournament itself, is a different animal altogether. People okay. Think, well, you got you can't compare postseason games to, to regular you're season the games. You just brought up Big Ten games in the middle of whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm I'm talking, t- I'm here's the point I'm taking. If you put Murray State and San Francisco – on TV as an NCAA tournament game. Yes. And you, put two, uh, you put a mediocre Big Ten team against a mediocre SEC team on the exact same uh, uh, channel at the exact same time in the NCAA tournament, the mediocre power conference teams will get the bigger number. That is probably true. And what are you arguing about? All I'm saying is that your, your, your insistence that nobody will watch mediocre power conference teams in the NCAA I didn't tournament. Say nobody. I didn't say nobody, but I am saying this clearly. If you eliminated the NCAA tournament as it stands with 68 teams with 32 conferences represented and created a comp and created a tournament where six to 10 conferences were represented, it is not going to be nearly as popular or as desirable of a postseason product. You seem to be arguing the other way. I'm, I'm not, I'm not certain what you're saying is true. That's what I'm saying. Okay. And, and when you're dividing that pie, um, between fewer conferences, fewer pieces, um, I think you could absolutely. Fi- I think there is a scenario where you could. It would be. It would take away a core piece of what we know as the NCAA tournament, but it it wouldn't be like the death of the sport, like some people think that it would be. I, it I, would severely damage the sport if you did that. I think. I don't think so. All right. I, next I, question. I, I don't. I don't think that's true at all. And like, I, I, I'm not even saying I hope it goes there someday, but I could absolutely see it going there someday. And a television network paying massive dollars. All I know is every time I've ever talked to somebody who works at a television network about this stuff, like their nightmare is VCU going to the Final Four. Their nightmare is George Mason going to the Final Four. So what if I tell you, hey, you don't even have to worry about any of that stuff. You've got nothing but big power conference brands in your tournament. Every game is a big brand against a big brand. I, that's absolutely profitable. I don't know that we'll ever get there, but 
I, the idea that it wouldn't draw big numbers and make a lot of money, that seems. That I seems didn't say crazy. it wouldn't draw big numbers and make a lot of money. It would not be as profitable or as I don't, I don't as the one that was, as we currently have, because if I, it was, I think we would have already landed at that point. That's all. No, um, the, the, the fact that it, the idea that it might be is why we might eventually land at that point. I think there's real resistance in the sport to not go that direction. But if we ever got to a point where four power conference commissioners said, hey, we don't need these other leads anymore. We can do this without them and we can make more money without them. Let's go to a te- let's go to the television networks and see what they'll just buy. Hey, if we give you this tournament, we're not going to have. St. Peter's and Murray States and San Francisco's, but we're going to have nothing but big, big brands. What's that look like to you from a, uh, a contract perspective? I think there'd be literally billions of dollars put on the table for that. Billions with a B. I absolutely could see them making a, like not just a lot of money, but more money than they're currently making. I, I, I will the have deal they, that Emmert oversaw was horrendous. So you're not wrong about that. He's I'm not, the worst deal ever. So. I'm, not, I'm not saying it would be good for the sport. I'm just saying the idea that it wouldn't be consumed and incre- incredibly profitable. I'm not sure that's true. But I, how about this? Um, I'll, I'll ask the questions to the people who actually make this decisions and we'll circle back to it. Good someday. question. We got a real debate and dialogue going here. Yes. I appreciate All right. That. Next question. Where are we at on this? I think I'm at question three. So Dan, this is from Dan. How important is having local talent for a school success? I know that Purdue, for example, has a large percentage of Indiana players on the roster, but some other programs like Duke and Kentucky pull players from all over the country. What do you think? I think maybe uh, this doesn't, to me, this doesn't mean as much now, Parrish, as it did 15, 30 years ago, specific, specifically. Uh, having the ability to recruit locally, uh, depends on where you're coaching at, certainly has a major impact on the kind of success that you can have. Uh, Purdue is a wonderful example because Purdue is not going to be able to recruit nationally speaking. Now, uh, Purdue is also unique in that Matt Painter has essentially already gotten verbal commitments from every uh, player that is seven, two or taller, both now. And like, he's got like an eight year old. That's already at six foot five. He's already committed to Purdue from, for like 10 years from now. So they've got that market completely locked down national, international, no doubt about it. Uh, there are just other programs that have way more national appeal and national pull, and they can go across the country because they've established themselves at that level. Gonzaga is another one that's kind of been able to do that. And that was also international. A lot of that was, was Tommy Lloyd there, but how important is having local talent? to a school success, uh, the world has gotten a lot smaller and it just doesn't mean as much now as it used to. But this very question is why you see when conference realignment happens the way it happens and you have schools that are brought in, schools that are considered versus schools that aren't considered. It's because uh, schools that want to get into different regions, uh, play games in those cities, have their staffs to be able to go into those those areas, those parts of the country, to be able to recruit more successfully. It's why a school, frankly, like Houston, is way more enticing now uh, to go into the Big 12 on the football side and obviously in basketball than it would have been, say, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, that area has exploded from a population standpoint. Teams, programs, coaches, they want to be able to recruit with a widening regional footprint as to the hyper-localness of it. It does matter, GP, but if uh, this feels like it was a way bigger deal 20 years ago. That's right. Um, it matters for certain programs. It doesn't matter for Duke or Kentucky. They're national programs. They can go literally anywhere in the country and get in the house, as they say, with um, with any prospect. So it, it doesn't matter for the big blue blood uh, programs. It, it matters 
in certain places sometimes where you have incredible local talent. Like, by the way, it starts there. Like, are you, where are you coaching? Like, are you, are you coaching in a place that's got good local talent? It, Coach at Boise? Yeah, they, 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 it probably doesn't matter that much, right? But you're, clo- you're coaching at LSU? Like, there's real talent in the state of Louisiana. You're the biggest school in the state of Louisiana. Um, you might want to capitalize on in-state recruiting there. Um, a place like Memphis, obviously. I, I used to think it mattered a lot in, at Michigan, Michigan State, because of the talent in that state. I think it matters less. For the reasons you pointed out, the world's smaller now. Like, when I was in, when I was in high school and even college, like, you just sort of knew the people you knew, you know, the, who you were around, um, you know, you, there's no FaceTime. There's no, like, uh, uh, you, you, it, it, it's a different, it's we, don't, a whole, we don't need to like completely veer off the course. And I, I'm going to sound older than I actually am, but like, if you're like 23 years old, you have no idea what it used to be like to actually live <laughs> like in this world. It's so different. It's so different in many ways it's better in some ways it's worse it was yes like you couldn't have a friend who lived in a different part of the country because there was no way to communicate them without cameron westcott grew up with the kid well i've wondered for 30 years what this kid's with this guy's (laughs) doing he moved gone it's over with goodbye yeah if you're gonna move out of state when i was nine the guy moved away broke my heart who the hell knows he might as well died it would not have been any yes yeah no it would not have i can remember being in uh school and like there's this girl you had a crush on and she had a boyfriend and then it was summer. Right. And it like one of the things I'd be wondering about getting ready to go back to school would be like, Hey, I wonder if they're still together. Yeah. Cause he had no idea. There's no way to know. No way. I, no way to yeah. know. They, they didn't have uh, statuses on Facebook. There's no way to know what somebody, there's no Instagram. There's no way to know what somebody was up to. Now I know what everybody is up to all the time. Wasn't in many ways it was just way better then. But like uh, Norm Macdonald, the late great Norm Macdonald, did a, a a bit on this. Uh, he he said, "Can you you know like in, in the in the old days, like everybody had one picture, you know, It'd just be like one picture, like there's one picture of Abraham Lincoln or whatever, you know." He'd be like, "There's just one picture." He's like, "Now he's like, when you get older, it'll be like your grandkids will be like, you want to see." A hundred thousand pictures of my granddad. <laughs> and that's where we're at. So um, oh. now there are, you can be, be a teenager today can be, be and let's just take this back to basketball. A teenage basketball prospect today can be best friends and communicate every day with somebody who lives nowhere near them. And, yeah, and, and you know, and so I don't think, and, and everybody's on TV now, you know, like, it used to be, well, if I want people to see me play, I got to stay home. Now you can go anywhere and people can see you play. I just don't, I don't, I don't think it matters that much anymore. Not as, not nearly as much as it used to. It matters for certain programs in certain circumstances, but um, with, I, I think technology and the um, regularity that basically everybody's games can be watched or streamed just makes it not that big of a deal anymore. Eric on the live chat said, my best friends live in Connecticut and Memphis. So thank there you go. See, yeah, there you well, go. like, well, like how, how often do I, I talk to you as much as I like, in, if you were to look at the 10 people I communicate with the most in this world, like if we count this podcast, you, you're probably one of them. Yeah. And how often do I see you twice a year, three times a year, three times. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I can I can now like text message is amazing. Like I, I feel like I talk to my closest friends every day. I don't really see them that often. But like we we're, we're in total communication all day, every day. And we see each other at the golf course, you know, once a week or, you know, something like that. Bob Stewart, 66 asks, will Iowa State be a top 25 ish team if they land A.J. Green? Now, I put this question in because it has relevance because A.J. Green, for all we know, we're going to cover this now in case this happens like an hour after we finish. OK, A.J. Green might go to Duke. He got a he got a crystal ball prediction. Uh, he visited Duke on Wednesday. Joey Baker previously believed to be finishing his final season in college, his COVID bonus season with the Blue Devils. That was previously announced. It was announced on Wednesday. He's going to transfer as a graduate student, so he's not going to play for Duke anymore. AJ Green previously believed to consider Iowa State as the front runner. His dad is on the staff there. Now AJ Green's a legit dude. He is a very, very good player and one of, I think, at least 17 athletes named A.J. Green in the past 40 years. Um, if Duke were to get A.J. Green, that that puts Duke top five clearly heading into next season. He's that good, uh, former star at Northern Iowa. But maybe he doesn't go to Duke. Maybe the Joey Baker stuff isn't uh, smoke where there's fire. If Iowa State got A.J. Green, would you put the Cyclones in your top 25 and one? I'd, I'd look at it. I don't think I don't think I'd get them all the way there. They have really done well in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Me and Boone talked about this earlier in the week. It's wild because Iowa State fans hated the transfer portal. Remember when they hated the transfer hated. portal? It was going to be the end of college basketball. Uh, and uh, now they're, you know, they're they're going out and taking a couple of bonnies. They're in play for AJ Green, although when Joey Baker transfers and Crystal Ball start going to AJ Green for Duke, that yeah. You know, it seems like it's headed that way, but I don't have any information on this. But, you know, it's. Man, yes, I, I would consider it. I would consider it. I don't know that I'd get them there. I mean, uh, you know, Jaron Holmes, Oshuna Shunier, A.J. Green, like that's a pretty good, you know, that's a that's that's a good place to start your roster. Um, but maybe fall just just short of the top 25 and one. I, I projected NCAA tournament team, maybe short of the preseason top 25 and one. But ultimately, it appears that might be a a moot um uh unnecessary conversation because aj green looks like he he's going to be a a duke blue devil just ask this next question is ridiculous russell asked the question i actually thought about this russell asked the question if you had to get a face tattoo of one current college basketball coach who would it be okay here's my question Mm -hmm. are you getting the tattoo of the coach's face anywhere on your body or are you tattooing the coach's face on your face i think you put, i think you're putting yeah you could read that a couple different ways i think the way i interpreted that is you are getting a tattoo of a current college basketball coach on your face so i'm putting their face on my face or just them on your face perhaps their whole body all right so it, it could be the name image or likeness yeah it could be like think of the jerry west logo but it's not Jerry West. Instead, it's, um, you know, Chris Mooney. The problem is one current college basketball coach. Because if it wasn't current, going Rick Bird. Uh, but I can't go Rick Bird. It's got to be a current coach. Man. It's a good question. I go with, how about, uh, <laughs> what an absurd question this is. Um, 
I go with I'm looking at my face right now as we do this. I'm going with I'm going with Steve Forbes and, <laughs> and, then, and then like the bald head like kind of blends into the cheek here. So it like it, it just it fits in. So I'm going Steve Forbes right on the side of my face. Okay, here's the here's the pro- first we gotta figure this out. If you if as a Caucasian man, if you get a Caucasian man's face on your face, does it even show up? Or do you need to pick a minority coach? But if you pick a minority coach, is that getting too close to blackface? Do we have problems? I don't know, man. It's it's a it's something you got to think through at the very least. I don't know which way to go with it. You can get the general outline of the coach so that the, the, you know, the likeness will indicate and there doesn't have to be any kind of coloring of anything. Okay. Okay. so I can pick a white coach. Yes, you can pick a white coach. Well, then I'm clearly going with Bob McKillop. Who looks who looks better than Bob McKillop? Tony Bennett. Who Tony we've had this discussion before. This is another discussion altogether. But Tony Bennett. Yeah. Jay Wright's but, retired. Tony Bennett might be the best looking college basketball coach. coach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah. Tony Bennett is up there. Not a said shirtless must. That's not a terrible suggestion. Shirtless must is certainly worth. I'd go Bob McKillop. Just like Bob looks. Bob looks the way you ought to look. He does. Uh, Always dressed well. Yeah. Like I, I, I want to look like Bob McKillop. All right. You want to be more classy. You can I, was gonna, classy yeah. I was going to say when I get older, I would, I want to look like Bob McKillop, but the truth is I, I'd rather look, I just, I, I'd be fine with looking like Bob McKillop right now. Tom Crean's not active. You could go Tom Crean on a ladder, but he's not active. He's not current. He's kind of current, quasi current. Is he getting that Evansville job? Who knows, right? They need to build, uh, that, need to build that statue outside of, they do. Assembly Hall. That man won outright Big Ten titles. Nobody climbs a ladder like Tom Crean. We've got a few questions in the chat. If you want to ask any, we'll get to them in a second. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to something. we got a question here from Justin Nicosia. hope I pronounced your last name correctly there, Justin. Um, said, not really a question, but if I remember correctly, GP promised we'd hear a story of why he had to take a train home mm. from the final four. And we never did unrelated music question is crazy train by Ozzy Osbourne massively overrated or a true classic. It's a true classic. Now it's massively overplayed. You, I mean, you got a 74% chance of hearing it at any sporting event you go to. I get all that. But uh, when you put it in the context of when it re- was released, um, you know, at the time, Ozzy Osbourne, really one of the more influential figures in that genre of music. It is a true classic, but things can at once be a true classic and tremendously overplayed. And so they just become, you know, part of the fabric to the point where you forget even the impact of the music. So that is the Ozzy Osbourne related part of the question. I thought that maybe you said why you took the train home, but maybe not. So anyway, this is. I don't even know if the story is worth telling. So if it's not, we can move on along. But I figured I'd circle back and give you the opportunity. Yeah. Anything there worth knowing. Yeah, it's not a great story, um, but it is a story. The, the truth is, uh, you know, New Orleans is where the Final Four was. It's about five hours from my home. So it was easier for me to drive there than fly. Like, you can't get a direct flight from Memphis to New Orleans. And so uh, I was always just going to drive. And then my wife was like, I'll just go down with you. I'll ride with you, but I can't stay all the way till Tuesday because, you know, we have children and she owns a store and all that stuff. She's got stuff to do, but I'll go down for like Thursday, Friday. And then, you know, I'll just take the train uh, home on Saturday or Sunday. The city of New Orleans train, the famous city of New Orleans train 
from New Orleans to Memphis, then Memphis to Chicago, Chicago back to Memphis, down to New Orleans, back and forth, back and forth. She said, I'll just take the train home from uh, New Orleans. I said, all right, that sounds uh, good. So she said, all right, look up uh, tickets for me and go ahead and book that. Sure thing, honey. So I tried to do, hey, not like I got any, any, a million other things to do. I'll go uh, book a train ticket now too. So I go to do that. No trains on Saturday. Everything's sold out. No trains on Sunday. Everything's sold out. Um, no trains on Monday. Everything's sold out. And she was like, do I just rent a car and go home? And I said, you know what? Why don't you just take the car home? There are trains uh, spots available on the Tuesday after the title game. I'll just ride the train home. It, you know, I'll turn it into a fun experience. And so that's how I ended up on the train. She drove home on like that Saturday, maybe Sunday. And I ended up taking the train home. I will tell you, uh, it's not the quickest way to get anywhere, but I had a blast. I rented a whole room. I had an entire room to myself, bed, desk, uh, sink, shower, Got did, a you bot- some, did you do some cosplay? Pretend like you were in a Bond movie? That's the move. I mean, you basically, you peek out the door, you make sure you're looking, are there any assassins on my car? Like, that's what you got to do. No, what, what you realize is, boy, I never really thought about this too much, but um, taking a train through largely Mississippi, you see some of the poorest parts of our country. I mean, it, like, it was like, it, it, there was moments where you're like, oh, this is really pretty. And then you were moments like, oh, my God, I can't believe people live there. That's tough. That's a tough, that's a tough situation that looks like out there. But then I would just pour myself another drink and, okay. you know, I took a nap. It was a good day. I don't know if I'd do it again, but I did it once. I had a good time. I like a good train ride. Yeah. I like a good train ride. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Um, by the way, I hate when we miss these obvious ones. You obviously... We'll take a few live questions here in a second. You have to have Cronin on your face because then it looks like you got a tattoo yourself. That's the move. You need Mick Cronin on your face. I, uh, or I could go with Steve Forbes. I kind of look like Steve Forbes a little bit right now. Yeah, oh. You're not nearly as... Uh, I mean... Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. <laughs> Watch your mouth. Okay, a couple live questions here. What is this one starting out? A best mid-major home court in California? What? What? I've never been to a... I've never been to a... Wait, is this true? Have you ever been to a mid-major game in the state of California? Have you ever attended a mid-major game? Not a power conference game. you got to be at a mid-major school. I mean, I've, I don't consider this, quote, mid-major because the program is really, really good, but I've been to San Diego State. Mm. Yeah. Probably not mid-major. Was mid-major 17 years ago, but now, no. Yeah, uh, I've been, in California, I've been, to, I've been to UCLA. I've been to USC. I've been to San Diego State, and that might be – oh, no, I've been to – I've been to Cal. I've been to – That's mid-major. Yeah. yeah. Right, so Cal's the answer. <laughs> Cal is not mid-major. I've been to Cal, UCLA, USC, and San Diego State. I believe those are the only um, basketball places I've been to in the state of California. Um, we have an NIL question. I'm going to pass the NIL. There's just so much NIL. I, I can only take so much. Uh, e Deaner 25 GP says, who are the early favorites in the big 10 with the amount of turnover? I would be curious as to the early pecking order, big 10, by the way, I'll, as GP looks us up, I'll just, I'll inject this max Christie staying in the NBA draft. Plenty of noise around that over the past, since the season ended, uh, it came to that. That is going to, 
damage. I know you draw. I don't know if you dropped him all the way out uh, Michigan state. I, I thought Christie was going to be a guy that if he returned to Michigan state as a sophomore could have been one of those classic examples of a guy who, if he goes after his freshman year, maybe he gets drafted. Maybe he doesn't. And I don't know if Christie will get drafted. If he's staying, it indicates to me, he feels like he's gotten enough feedback that he'll get drafted. Okay. So whatever. But if he returned, he could have had that big jump. Big, and I, I mean, I'm talking like potential top 20, top 15 after next year. It's not what he wants to do. It didn't go smoothly. Izzo was consistently praising him to me on and off the record last year. Thought that Christie overall was his most important player, his most talented player. They lose him. It adds to the overall uncertainty of the Big Ten. So um, how's the uh, how's the league look to you as things stand right now, GP? Uh, first on Michigan State, I did drop them, obviously, down to 25th. I'm going to keep him in out of respect for Tom Izzo. He's coached in 24 straight NCAA tournaments. Is that the number now, 24? Is it more? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's 24. And you ready for this? Yeah, they might have seen Yeah. Because I, I feel like I looked this up the other day and saw it. If they make the NCAA tournament next season, he will have coached in more consecutive NCAA tournaments than any man in the history of the sport. More than self? I believe that's true. Okay. Might not be. Kansas, but- has, Kansas has the longest streak. <laughs> Obviously, self hasn't been there the longest. Kansas has the longest streak in the history of the sport. It's made every tournament since 89. No, 90. Um, but. I didn't know if self was longer than Izzo for consecutive runs. I believe it's Izzo, and and next year would be the record, um, unless what I read the other day was incorrect. Uh, so the Big Ten. I do not have a Big Ten team in my top eleven, and so right now I've got the favorite in the Big Twelve, Big Ten, looking like Michigan. I've got Michigan at twelve. Obviously, though, like they've got some roster stuff that's got to be worked out. Uh, Musa apparently something good happened with him at the combine. Oh, his body fat. He's got incredible body fat. All right, can we talk about this real, real quick? Like this needs to be figured out. I uh, I'm bringing up this tweet. I think Avoni is only relaying the numbers that are being told to him. So this is not on him. This is not accurate. All right. Unless, unless everything I've ever learned about body fat, which is not a tremendous amount. I admit GP here's, here's, <laughs> So for, so for the second time in this podcast, you're going to argue about something you're not completely familiar with. No, I've I, I got to be familiar with this. Gavoni, uh, yesterday, Wednesday, May 18th. Here's, here's a tweet. <laughs> Lowest body fat, at the 20, body fat at the 2022 NBA Combine. 2.7% Musa Diabate, Michigan. 3.8% Terquavian Smith, North Carolina State. 3.8% Keon Ellis, Alabama. 3.8% Gabriel Presida. He's an international player. And then 4% Darion Sebron at NC State. First of all, some of the comments are like, they got to start feeding those guys at NC State. I don't think 2.7% body fat. I I literally don't know if you can live on that little body fat. I don't think that's, I don't think that's physically possible. Emily Ratajkowski, she, she, uh, she lives on 2% body fat. You ever seen, ever seen a picture of her? What's Chet Hall? If, if. If Musa Diabate is 2.7%, is Chet Holmgren even at 0.3? Okay. I, I like world class, like bodybuilding. Like, I think those people are at like 5%. So I don't know how they're you're measuring. T- it. You're talking like a man who doesn't follow Bella Hadid on Instagram. You do not. Don't talk to me about body fat. <laughs> I don't. Oh, man. This was just a, it was a portal to open GP's window of. Horn doggery. I didn't realize that's where we were going. You sound like you don't follow 
Uh, here we Charlotte go. McKinney on Instagram. Don't know who that is. Nope. Oh boy, she takes <laughs> she takes good pictures. She's incredible at picture taking. I'll tell you one thing. So anyway, um, yeah, that that's that can't be accurate. Someone it can't be accurate. Of course, two point seven percent body. Let me stop you for a second. If it quote couldn't be accurate, don't you think the person? <laughs> Get, handing out these numbers would be like, hey, this can't be accurate. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that, maybe they have. Maybe they have changed the way that they are evaluating body fat. But I've always been told that, like, for an average human being, if you can get to, you know, somewhere around 10 to 12 percent, like you're doing really, 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 really good. Two point seven feels like a corpse. So that's all I'm saying. Sounds like a man who doesn't follow Kendall Jenner on Instagram. Not a chance. What? Why would you not follow Kendall Jenner on Instagram? Why, why do I need to follow Kendall Jenner? Are you at a, Why would you not? Mm -hmm. even, what, what is the point of having Instagram? I, I barely. I, well, I don't even use it that much. So, yeah. what is the point of being alive if you don't use Instagram that much? Oh half, boy! Half my day is is just Instagram Reels. I just watch Instagram Reels. It's all it's all Kendall Jenner and. and uh, golf lessons. <laughs> My entire Instagram reels is I watch Kendall Jenner video and then a golf lesson and then like a Gigi Hadid video and then another golf lesson. No more Big Bang Challenge. That's over. They don't do them anymore. Uh, I, trust me. I look for them. Uh, yeah. Daily, the Daily Hunt is on. Yeah. It's over. They don't do them anymore. Then I watch a Halsey video and then a golf lessons video. That's all I do all day long. You're living a life. That's for sure. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Hey, if you go pay $1,300 for an iPhone, you might as well use it. Right the point in having an iphone if you're not watching instagram reels with kylie jenner she's good on there too um where does Mus rank on your all-time favorite coaches i love Mus. i mean i don't I, you know rank, <laughs> the question is rank him <laughs> the problem is you can't start ranking how much you like coaches because It'll next thing you know, you'll have Arkansas number one in the top 25 and one. Yeah, and, be, right. and it's like, uh, oh, it's only because you love Muss and blah, blah, blah. blah. You know, people are crazy. So um, Muss is on the list of, of, of coaches I enjoy the most. Absolutely. Um, but like there's a lot of guys on that list. Like I, I um, there are people in our industry who have jobs like ours and they like there are guys they hate. And there are guys they like, and but there are guys they really hate. And I, there's nobody out there that I, I mean, I, I don't know that every coach I know likes me, but I, there's like, if you said, who's the coach you can't stand more than any other, like nobody even pops Being into my head. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody, like I'm being sincere. Nobody even pops into my head. I don't, I don't, I don't have what I would call a bad relationship from my side, a bad relationship with anybody. I I'm confident not every coach would feel that way because when you talk for a living, tweet for a living, write columns for a li all that stuff, you're going to have some people who don't like what you write about them or their teams or their programs at some point. So I'm not saying the feelings are uh, 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 back and forth, but I don't personally, there's nobody I don't in like, there's nobody if they, I know people in our industry would be like, I would hate it if that guy won a national championship or if that guy, you know, or I really want that guy to get fired. I just don't, think of people in at least coaches in that way I, I genuinely don't you don't have to reveal it let's lend let's end on this you don't have to reveal a coach but la how when was the last time and you don't again well it's ranking so maybe they do find you last time a coach came at you 
and like was really like you know expressed expressed you know disappointment or just you know was kind of coming at you over something you wrote something you said it's been a while because i um i don't do that as often as i used to do it like when i first got this job yeah. i was just a writer you know that's all like my my when i signed a contract with cbs in 2006 it was to write columns period that's all i was going to do and now I don't do that as often because I have so many other things to do. Television, studio, sideline, um, you know, uh, uh, time to shine, uh, you know, uh, a podcast, uh, ranking teams every morning. Um, I don't write the type of columns that would have people pick up the f- too often anymore that would have people pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I really um, you know, I thought that was out of bounds or I, you know, I didn't appreciate that. Although I, I will say this, as I got older, um, I, I, I got to a place where I, I wouldn't just take cheap shots to take them. I don't tweet just cheap shots to take cheap shots at anybody. I see other people in our business do that all the time. I don't do that. I, I, um, I'm not just trying to get off a joke at somebody's expense too often. Um, if I'm going to, make a point that I know is going to bother the person I'm writing about. I want to make sure that I'm, I can, I, I want to make sure I can stand up and, and take that phone call. In fact, if I were, because I've done this in the past before I hit send on a column, you know, to send it to the editors, I go, okay, if I get this phone call, once this thing publishes, um, am I going to be able to defend every point I made? And it doesn't mean the other person will agree with me, but am I going to be able to say, hey, here's what I'm basing this on. Here's why I wrote what I wrote, said what I said. Um, you don't have to like it, but you're going to have a hard time you know, make, convincing me that I'm wrong. And, um, and so I think that's a pretty good test to put yourself through before you, you know, finish a column. Like, is this fair? Is it, is it going to be well-received by the person I'm, or people I'm writing about? I don't consider that nearly as much as, is this fair? Could I defend it if I'm forced to defend it? But like way back in the day. Um, you you know, were a fireball. You were a fireball. Well, like I can remember Billy Donovan picking up the phone and calling. And, you know, he didn't like something that I'd written. Um, I think it was, I wrote that Billy Donovan, because I had been told this by a lot of people, had more or less invented the elite camp, you know, by hiring coaches like grassroots coaches to come work the camp at Florida with the understanding being you bring your players, bring your three blessed players with you, use the money I'm paying you to work our camp to pay for your campers, your best players to come be campers at the camp. Like that became a very common thing. Everybody was doing it, but I was told I wanted to write about it. And everybody was like, yeah, Billy invented that. That Billy's the one that really figured that out, how to do that. And he didn't like that. It sort of put him out there in that light. Um, I've had Bill Self call about a column one time that he didn't like. He was totally cool, obviously. Like Bill's the type, you know, he'll end the conversation with you by saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to be mad about what you wrote, even if I don't like it, because I know, you know, you'll write something good next time or sometime. Like it all balances out. I'm fine. He, he would never get mad about it. Um, but like I, I've, I've taken that call before. John Calipari, I've taken the call before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the wildest one was Bobby Gonzalez when he was at Seton Hall. Like that got, and I'm not trying to pile on Bobby, like I, you know, but like Ed, that, that was the, that was the single wildest conversation I ever had with a coach about something that I'd written. Like it, it was, we were yelling at each other, cussing at each other type of thing. 
<laughs> he's now a scout. I don't know who he works with, but I'm pretty sure he's a scout. Bobby Gonzalez, man. <sighs> yeah. From another era. Um, all right, you want to get out of here? I do want to get out of here. You got, you got Instagram reels to go look at, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, but what I am also going to do, honestly, is like text um, some people that I know who work in television. I, w- I really want to get an answer to the best um, that we can get an answer. Like, you, um, could a nothing but power conference basketball tournament be more profitable than the way we're doing our end of the season basketball tournament right now? So I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some real reaching out on that, and we'll see where we get. In the meantime, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Huck, shouts to Larnell, shouts to the Hadid sisters. And thank you guys for listening to the Island College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars with nice reviews over at Apple. More of us. Than there are of them. That is, can we, we can at least agree on that, can't we? We agree on most everything. It's good for us to occasionally disagree on stuff. That we're way, not, you know, the show is not phony. We're not going to argue. We're not going to argue about that. I can sit here and just yuck it up with each other for sixty minutes. Well, a little genuine dialogue. There's more of us than there are of them. So make sure to subscribe. If you're on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe there as well. We're going to talk to you again, no later than Monday. Till then. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.